Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. So if you have your Bible and you found James chapter 1, we've been uh, really going into this series talking about how God gives wisdom and it's really practical for your everyday life. Uh, We talked about the book of James is like the New Testament book of Proverbs. Uh, It's got lots of kind of quick uh, points of wisdom and application for our life. And today, uh, James is saying, hey, information about God's word is good, but you can't just stay with information. It's got to move to application. And so to start out, I want to have a little awkward, uh, fun moment of confession to you in our, our home. Uh, Emily loves plants, and I'm very bad with plants. And so Emily was going uh, on a two-week uh, trip, uh, and I was staying at home, and she's like, hey, Aaron, will you watch out for the plants? And so she sort of gave me a write-up in terms of how to take care of them. And she's like, there's two things you got to do. You got to make sure that they are positioned near the sun, and that there's action taken, you got to give them water. Position and action. That's your job, Aaron. And then she told me a ton about the plants and what I need to do while she was gone. Um, while she was gone, I was like, okay, I can take care of the kids, but plants are another thing. I get the plants from where they're supposed to be, bring them over to the sink. I put water on them, move them to the side, and I left them there for two weeks. Them plants died. So Emily knows that. It's not like a moment of confession in front of you guys with that. So killed the plants. Um, But it's really information that was interesting about that is that I had all the information I knew, right? I knew what plants need to be taken care of. I knew where to put them. I knew how to water them. But information wasn't enough, right? I knew that position, it needs the sun. Action needs the water. But information alone doesn't help anything grow. That's James' point today when he says, don't just be a hearer of information. You need to be a doer in order for transformation. That's James' big idea today. So in some sense, you and I are like plants. You and I are growing people, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, we're growing people. But some of us in this room, you might've been a Christian for a while. And so you feel right now, you might be in a stagnant place. Does anyone ever feel like your best, like spiritual years were behind you? Like a lot of the Christian experience, if you grew up in the US, was I just really grew in college. I had this tight knit of people and man, I just had this Bible study. I had these older people investing in me and we think our just best years are behind us. And then now we feel kind of stagnant and we're not growing, but we have the same information, but maybe there's something off. And that's what James is getting to today. Knowledge without action is not transformation. And so James is trying to get us to understand that Today And so James wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. So he says, hey, we can't just be hearers of the word. We've got to be doers of the word. So what's that mean for you? Guys, the Bible, the one we just read from, the Bible we talk about in CGs, the Bible was given to you not just to increase your understanding, but to transform your life. The only way that can happen is if we are doers of that word. If we lean into the promises and pathways that God has given, then we begin to grow. If not, you're like the plant in my house. You're going to spiritually wither and spiritually die. 
Information is not enough. And that's what James is saying. So if you're taking notes, we just have two very simple points from today's text. And he wants to help us grow and flourish. So here's the points he makes. Number one, if you want to grow, you've got to examine the posture of your heart. Very simple, the posture of your heart, the position of your heart. Like the plant needs to be near the sun. As Christians, we need to be near the son of God, the posture of our heart. Number two, we're going to look at the practice of our lives, position and practice. So let's look at the first one. Let's really assess the posture of our hearts towards the Lord. So James starts out in verse 18. He says, know this is how he starts. So just want to be honest with you. Transformation does start with information. He says, know this. He wants to give you facts, some insight, some understanding. So information is important. So he says, know this, but he doesn't stop there with just knowing it. He wants you to take your next step. So he says, know this, my beloved brothers. And we've talked about this. The Bible wasn't just written to males. That word for brothers is simply adelphoi. It, it, in the Greek, it means brothers and sisters. So James is writing to people that he knows and he loves. It feels like family to him. So he says, I want you to know this, my beloved brothers, my beloved sisters. Guys, he knows these people deeply and he loves them personally. And this word is for Christians whom God loves and are part of his family by faith. And so if you're not a Christian, I just want you to know that you can kind of like peek behind the curtain today and you can like see what God is saying to Christians. Because one of the biggest pushback against Christianity is that we are hypocrites. Is that true? Absolutely. And so today God's like, hey, hypocrites. And we all like raise our hand. He's like, I'm talking to you today. Don't just hear the word. You've got to do the word. So if you're a non-Christian, man, you just kind of get ready because you're, all the things that you want to say to us are going to be said in the text Today, if you are a Christian, I want you to lean in to what's said to you, a beloved brother or a beloved sister. So he says, here's how he gets to it. He says, know this, my beloved family, let every person. So what I'm about to say means none of you guys are off the hook. It's every person, man, woman, child, young, old, Republican, Democrat, whatever your skin color is, background, economic status. None of us are off the hook, okay? All of us. Let every person... And then he gives quick three commands. Let every person be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Why? James gives us a summary statement. He says, for the anger of a person does not produce the righteousness of God. And guys, that's what James is after in this book, is the righteousness of God. And what's the righteousness of God? It simply means having a right heart and right actions in a right relationship with God. That's all righteousness means. And that's what James wants to produce, that your heart and your actions would match up with God's heart and Christ's actions. And that's what he's wanting us to get here. So he tells us these three things here. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, listen, if, if you've been, uh, have roommates, if you've been married, if you have a child, if you've been around another human in your life, this advice is extremely practical for you. Like imagine how much heartache you would save yourself from if you just obeyed that word, be quick to hear. Like how how much conflict would you be safe from if you just shut your mouth and were quick to hear, right? Me too, right? Especially my marriage. Come on, y'all. You know how I operate. Be quick to hear. And he says, be slow to speak, slow to anger. Like imagine guys, what would your marriage look like if you practiced that? Or what about that tension you experience in your work relationships? Imagine being slow 
to speak. Imagine what the increased peace would be like in your parenting if you were quick to hear what was going on rather than just, just stop yelling at me, stop screaming, and then the anger just boils in your home. Imagine what would it look like? This advice is really, really practical, but to be honest, guys, this passage isn't really about your responses towards people. This passage is really about your posture towards God's word. This is really not about how you relate to other people. And how, how do I know that to be the case? Well, it's the same thing with realtors. It's all about location, location, location. And location of this text tells us what the meaning of it is. Right before this passage, James is talking about God's word. So that's how I know when he's talking about be quick to hear, slow to speak, little bit anger. It's talking about God's word. So James says in verse 17, he says, God's word is a good and perfect gift from God who's above. And then in verse 18, he tells us that God's word brings to us life and goodness. So this passage about quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to be angry is really about God's word. It's really about your posture towards his word. So let me ask you this question then. What does it mean then to be quick to hear? If you're just taking notes and you want a definition, what's it mean to be quick to hear? It means that you were eager and attentive to God's principles and his promises. You are eager and attentive to God's principles and his word, his commands, and his promises. That's what it means to be quick to hear. And let me ask, are, are you that way with God's word? Are you quick to know? Are you quick to desire what God has to say about your relationships, your, your sin struggles, your, your marriage, your, your money? Are you quick to want to know are you attentive to what he promises you and the principles that he has? Now, listen, if you've been in the dating scene uh, ever in your life, you know what it means to be quick to hear. And here's how I know this, because I've talked to some of you guys about this. When you first started dating someone, you leaned into just about everything that they said or texted to you. You're very much quick to hear and understand what they're saying. So for some of you, you are on a, maybe a dating app or you're kind of connecting with someone for the first time. And you're like, why did they say, ha ha? What's that mean? They ended their text with, okay, period. And all of you were like, that's a bad one. I know that one, right? Or like, we need to talk. No one likes that one. We're quick to figure out. And some of us are like, why does she use so many exclamation points? Or for the guy, why does he not use enough exclamation points? Is he not excited? And we're trying to be quick. What do they mean? You're leaned in because it's valuable to you. You care. And guys, are you that way with God? Every nuance, every phrase, every punctuation, every word, are you leaned in like that, like you are with dating? You're quick to hear when you first start dating. And if you've been married for a little bit, you stop being quick to hear. Like legit, this is last night, Emily and I were talking. She's talking to me, I fell asleep <laughs> last night. Remember that? You're like, of course I remember that. She's talking to me and she's like, did you just fall asleep? I'm like, do what? <laughs> To me, falsely, girl, I got you. What, you. what you want to talk about? I was not quick to hear. And are we that way with God's word? Do you desire? Are you eager and attentive to know what he has to say? And that's what James is trying to tell us. Are you quick for it? Do you desire this? You and I are like that with dating. We might like be like that with other things. But why are we not like that with God? And I think, guys, it's because we're busy and we're distracted. And we think that other words... We'll give life. If we get affirmation, if we get someone in a conversation, if we get to go on a date, if 
someone encourages us, we look to other words and other worlds in order to give us only what God can. And so James is saying, hey, hold on a second. Be, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear the voice that knows you, that like deeply sees everything that you're going through. Be, be quick to hear him. And that's what he's encouraging us here, guys. And so the question is not, is God speaking? Because he is. The question, are you listening? And he's giving you his word that he calls living and active. So it's not some dead, done textbook. It's alive and active. And the question not are you just reading it. Are you letting it read you? Are you letting it study your own heart? Are you meditating with it, taking some moments with it? Guys, I am not perfect. It's not like I really needed to say that because if you know me for a second, you know I'm not. But one area that I'm trying to do this is with my Bible reading. And so I'm following the F260 plan that we gave to our church. There's 260 foundational passages that we want to read together this year from Genesis to Revelation. So I've taken that plan and I've put on my, uh, I've sort of got like, I got Microsoft Office and I used a notebook one. So each month I put all the text that we'll read for each day uh, in the month. And so I'll put, you know, June 4th or June 5th and then I'll drop the text in there. And then part of what I want to do with my heart is to take notes. God, what are you saying to me in this text? I want to be quick to hear you. Where, where are you calling out where my heart is reaching out for other things? Where, where is that? God, where, why do I keep getting angry at my kids or my wife or relationships? What, what, what's going on in me? And as I read the text, God begins to do a work in me. But if I just rush past there or go quick, I'm, I'm not quick to hear. I'm quick to finish my devotional time. Quick to hear means you take your heart. And you, you, you quickly surrender it, not to your feelings, but to God's word. Guys, I'm not perfect at Bible reading. Sometimes I'm lazy. Sometimes it's just enough for me to wake up, turn on my phone, blind my eyes out and read some of the scriptures. But James is telling us to be quick to hear God's word. So again, the question is not, is God speaking? It's, are you listening? Are you leaning into the nuance like you would a text message from someone you just started dating not only do we want to consider what's it look like to be quick to hear, but we need to also think, what's it mean to be slow to speak? What's that mean? Does it mean that we all should speak in Southern long draw accents and start talking slow? Of course not. It's a really bad impression, by the way. I'm just trying it out again. It's been five years since we've been for North Carolina. But what's it mean to be slow to speak? Guys, listen, we live in a culture, and you know this. You, you know this because you have social media. We live in a culture where everyone wants to talk all the time. Guys, we want to be the verbal influencer. We have our critique for every little thing about every little thing. All of us could write, including myself, a hot takes column every day about everyone in this church, about everything imaginable. We have so much we want to say. We want to share our opinions and we want everyone to not only hear them, but value them. So we talk and talk and talk. We talk over each other. We talk around each other. We are not slow to speak. And here's what I think James is saying. Because he's talking about God's word, here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, are you currently suffering? Are you currently struggling with the tension in a relationship that you're in? Like, is your marriage having trouble? Do your kids drive you crazy? Are you frustrated at work? Are you addicted to some particular sin pattern? Then these are all good reasons for you to be slow to speak. Why? Because more times than not, the struggle that's in you and in me needs to be spoken more so than to the circumstances around you. Does that make sense? 
Because of what's going on in our own hearts and lives, we wanna take the log out of our eye before we take the speck out of someone else's. We are very quick to correct or judge others in their life, but very, very slow to examine ourselves. And so James is saying, hey, why don't, rather than giving hot takes all the time and posting on social media and getting angry about everything and everyone else, why don't, why don't we just calm it down a little bit and, and be slow, slow to speak. Now, some of us in the room, I don't know exactly who you are, but we all struggle with this in some capacity. Some of us are like Facebook fighters. We hop on a Facebook, like, oh, I'm gonna tell my aunt, mm, I'm gonna tell her, bam, vaccination, like Republican, Democrat, like we're just going at whatever it is and we're just blasting it out. We're just getting on somebody for something. We're, we're not, we are not slow to speak. And it's because I don't think we're, we're slow to understand what's going on with our hearts. And we're not slow with God's word. And we could just care less. And so we move forward in saying whatever we want to about whatever we want to. So I think James is saying, hey, slow down for a second and let's take the log out of your eye, like Jesus says, before you start taking the speck out of someone else. Now I do want to take a note, just a pause for a quick moment here. James isn't saying don't speak out about sin or injustice. Notice how he doesn't say don't speak. What's he say? Be slow to speak. You know what that means? Even in the midst of heartache, or injustice, or evil. We want to be thoughtful. We want to be mindful. How do we bring truth and grace to everything that we say? And James is saying, hey, you probably need some time to consider how to give truth and grace to everything. Guys, imagine what would it look like if you did this in your marriage, your relationships with your kids, with your coworkers, roommates. Just think about what if you were slow to speak because you were prayerful about how can I give truth and grace to this person? What would it look like for you to be thoughtful about what you say? What your words are? Imagine if someone who's hurt you verbally, imagine if they took a moment and were thoughtful about what they said in truth and grace. Wouldn't that be helpful? Don't you wish people sometimes would just think about what they say before they say it? I know that I wish I did a lot better job at that. And James is saying, slow down and consider. Be slow, be quick to hear God's word so that when you speak, when you speak, you speak with truth and grace. So again, it doesn't mean we don't speak out. It's when we speak out, it's filled like Jesus with truth and grace. So number three of the commands here, not only slow to speak, but he says slow to anger, doesn't he? And then he puts a little summary on the end of that verse. He says, let's be slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Guys, again, we live in a culture that's just angry all the time. We are angry and outraged about everything. And for some things we really should be. Shootings, racism, murder, absolutely. We should be rightfully angry at sin. But literally we're angry at everything. Like we angry about vaccinations and politics. Maybe it's arguable we should be angry about gas prices. I don't know, it's a lot of money for my car. But we're angry about everything. You name it and we are just angry about it. Guys, I was studying this past week. Do you know what the Greek word for anger is? Twitter. Twitter is the Greek. I'm just kidding. It's not really the Greek word. This is a bad dad joke. I'm sorry. It's just a bad dad joke. But for real, like we are, we are angry on Twitter. We are angry on Facebook. We're just yelling at everybody about everything. We, we don't know how to have conversations. You know why? Because we're not slow to anger. Because we're not slow to speak. Because we're not quick to listen to God's word. Do you see how it all falls together? Do you see how it all progresses together? If you, listen, just be real quick. If you, if you have anger constantly and you're constantly mouthing off in your anger, 
then I know for sure that you are not quick to listen to God's word about what he has to say to help heal you in that anger. Guys, we've got to take this word seriously. James is really trying to to make us to slow down in a really fast-paced world for us to consider what's going on. Now, uh, Emily and I are very different when it comes to the car. Okay, I broke my car. I got it fixed recently, by the way, on the 27th. We got it fixed and insurance paid for it all. Praise the Lord, broke my car, back windshield, blew it out. So it's all better now. But Emily and I are very different when it comes to the car. Um, I feel like where we differ, and let's not fight about now because it'd be awkward, right? Um, when the light goes on on the dashboard, we operate in two different ways. I'm like, we got to get this thing fixed now. Something's wrong with it. We got to get it updated. We got to go get a check. And Emily's like, hey, the light's optional. You know, if it's like flashing empty tank, let's just chance it, bro. Let's roll the dice and see what happens. We're very different on that. And guys, anger is like the flashing light in your car. When anger rises up in you, it's telling you that there's something wrong. Now, again, not all anger is wrong, but mostly how you and I deal with anger probably is wrong. And so anger is like that flashing light in the car, drawing your heart to tell you that something's not right here. You were mistreated or you're being bitter or something happened here. And God uses that emotion in order for us to address it. And so God is saying, when that happens, be slow to be angry. And guys, we're, we're, we get angry because something we love is threatened. That's what the definition of anger is. Like, why do we get angry? Because something that we love is being threatened. And that's why we get angry. For my kids, guys, often throughout the week, I'm frustrated sometimes with my wonderful, precious, beautiful little ones. Kyle can attest to this wherever he is because he works in our home office. And when I'm trying to get something done, I've got a goal in mind. Anytime something gets in between that goal, I get frustrated. And so I'm like, yeah, can you give daddy a second and not like throw your Barbies at my face or, you know, like throw your shoes at me or like sparkle glitters all over me in the office or something like that. And so it's, it's, I get frustrated because something is threatening what I think I need. That's what anger is. Anger is what happens when what you love is being threatened. And so James is saying, hey, slow down for a second. When you're angry, don't just suppress it or don't just mouth off about it. Be slow and consider why is angry, anger flashing in your life? And let's back up and see, maybe what was being threatened there is actually not what can actually satisfy you. And so anger can be like a tool to redirect your heart to Jesus. Because we don't need to have everything that our hearts may want, because what our hearts want may not be good. So anger is a tool, like a flashing light showing you that maybe what your heart wants is not so good. So let's take a moment and be slow and figure out why is the anger there? And maybe God wants to minister to you in that very spot. Now, remember, I told you this whole passage was about God's word, right? It's not about relationships per se, has implications for relationships, but it's really about God's word. And we all know, because you know, and I know, and you've read some of it, the Bible gets people ultra, real life, angry, right? Like even you and I as Christians, the Bible can get us angry, right? Why? The Bible threatens the status quo. It calls you out. It calls me out. It points out flaws and shortcomings. It gives a standard that we might not agree with. Guys, listen, it commands things about gender, sexuality, abortion, pornography, forgiveness, justice, racism, men's and women's roles, you name it, and we don't like it right? 
And like, we're in the church and we have a hard time with God's word, right? We get angry with God's word. And James is telling us, hey, wait, 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 wait a second. Before you get ultra angry, that's right, tell them. When you get ultra angry with what's in God's word, take a moment and maybe figure out why I put it there. So James says, slow down when it comes to the Bible because there's gonna be some things that make you mad because maybe the Bible says something that you disagree with. But if there is a God who is so much higher, well, I want him to be, if there's a God to be so much higher than my thoughts and ways, then maybe he has commands that are good for me that I just can't fathom. So maybe I need to be slow to get angry at what the Bible says when maybe it was designed for my good. Here's an example. Right now, I don't know why, Shasera is going through an obsession with sticking her fingers in fans. I don't know why. Maybe that was Koa Kids, maybe one of you Joker. I'm just kidding, of course, you guys. But someone, someone is influencing my daughter to put her fingers in fans. Why are we doing that? I have no idea. Right, Em? No idea. So we have a fan in our room and you just watch like, mm, she's just like a gnat to the light. You know, she wants to just stick her finger in that thing. And so we're like, no, Shasera, don't stick your finger in the fan because it will cut it off. I'm a hardcore parent when it comes to like, I'm not like, oh, you'll get her. I'm like, you're gonna lose a finger. Like, it's gonna happen. So we're like, don't put your finger in the fan. And she looks at me like I am the meanest, per- like I'm like burned all her Barbies in front of her. Like she just looks at me like I'm the worst dad on the planet. And I might be, but I'm trying to love her in that moment. And she's like, you know, this is, this is my life. This is my choice. This is my finger. I do what I want to do. Like she's just upset about it. And I'm, I'm trying to love this girl, right? She thinks I'm limiting her joy, but I'm actually trying to protect it, right? So I tell her, no, Shasera, sweetheart, don't stick your finger in the fan. Guys, I'm not trying to impede her joy. What am I doing? I'm trying to ensure her joy. It's not fun, sweetheart, to play with a lost finger. <laughs> Just not. There's, it's going to be messy for everybody. And so I think what we're learning from this is that James is saying, hey, slow down when you come to God's word. There's going to be some things that God tells you, no, don't sting your finger in the fan. Don't go to this place. Don't live your life for money or marriage or a child. Don't give your life to climb the corporate ladder thinking that position and money and status, and if you arrive somewhere, you'll finally be happy. You'll wreck your life. You'll ruin your life if you think that is fulfillment. Marriage, dating, a kid, happiness, clothes. It'll be miserable. And James is saying, be slow to be angry because when God may be telling you no, to limit something, he's trying to limit the pain, not your enjoyment. Make sense, guys? God is not a cosmic killjoy. So his no's are actually for protection for you. So guys, listen, when it comes to God's word and it's flashing something up to you that's making you angry, why don't you take a moment and you have two options when it comes to the Bible, guys. Two options when it comes to a sermon or CG, two options. Number one, you edit the Bible. Just change it. People have done that. They're all of history and they begin to ruin their life. Take God's word. That's an option for you. Don't recommend it. People have done that all the time with the Bible. I just don't like this verse. I don't like this book. I don't like this page. You rip it out. You can change God's word and then watch your life suffer. Or rather than changing the Bible, you let the Bible change you is your other option. That you're slow to get angry with it. You're not selective with which passages you like and what passages you don't like you recognize that there is some higher being, some bigger power, some personal individual that has given you and I his word. 
given to you by the Spirit to know who he is and to know the way and the principles for your flourishing. Guys, that's why James tells us in verse 21, he says, therefore, I just told you three, three commands. Therefore, here's what I want you to do with those commands. I want you to put away, he says, all filthiness. What's that simply mean? Filthiness is just the sinful inner thoughts and desires you have. So James is saying, hey, put away the, all the filthiness. And then he says, put away the rampant wickedness. That's the outer words and actions that we do. So he says, put away the inner, put away the outer. And here's what I want you to do. Since you put those off, I want you then to receive with meekness or humility, the implanted word, which is able to save or transform your souls. Do you know what James is saying? James is saying, hey guys, there's a lot of stuff that we need to put off. We need to put off ways that lead to harm and we need to put on ways that lead to our life and enjoyment. Guys, if you wanna know what repentance is, if church environment's not like, a familiar thing for you. Repentance is just simply putting off things that lead to harm that God agrees with is gonna to lead to harm. And then faith is really just trusting and putting on what God says leads to life and flourishing. That's all repentance and faith is, is agreeing with what God is saying, put off things that lead to harm, put on things that lead to life. That is the Christian life is do you trust in that? So James says, hey, put away filthiness. It's not gonna give you life. Put away pornography, put away alcohol, put away drugs, put away dating, put away running after money. I'm not saying you shouldn't date, but you get what I'm saying, guys. Put away trying to find your life and that's just filthiness. It's not gonna help you. It's just gonna make you dirty, life complicated. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be messy. Put it away. And then take on the implanted word of God. Take it in. He says, receive it because why? It'll save your soul. That's interesting. It's interesting to talk about saving your soul. What's that even mean? Two meanings with saving your soul. First is telling you that God's word can save your life from the heartache that sinful choices can cause you. Can we just all agree with that statement? Let's just do it because I'm asking you. I'm just kidding, not really. But like, can you just agree with that? Guys, God's word can save your life from the heartache that sinful choices can cause you. If you just want to live a life that is according to God's word and you want to avoid personal hardships from self-inflicted wounds because of bad decisions, just follow God's word. It can save your soul in that way. But number two, what's it mean? That God's word can save your soul. Why or how? By pointing you to Jesus. Guys, the entire Bible, all 66 books, all point to Jesus. Several sermons ago, I actually walked through all 66 books and showed you how each book points you to Christ. And so the Bible's, the, the goal of it, how it saves your soul is it points you to Jesus. It points out your sin and points to your Savior. That's what the Bible does. That's how it saves your soul. So, so James is saying, guys, don't just receive God's principles but receive the person of the Bible. Receive Jesus, how he lived and died and rose in your place so you can have a place with him. So that's the first thing. That's the longest point. The next one's a lot shorter. But the first one, if we wanna grow, if we don't wanna die like my plants, if you wanna grow spiritually, if you wanna change and experience all God has for you, then you've gotta have a right posture. You've gotta position yourself near the sun like I didn't do with the plant. Come near the Lord and be quick to hear his word. Be slow to speak on every little issue so that God can work with what's going on inside of you. And then be slow to anger with every scripture that you may disagree with. That's what James is trying to tell us how to grow. But James doesn't stop there. My boy James is arguably like a blue collar guy. He's straight to the facts, hard hitting. 
He's a half-brother of Jesus. I don't know what his job was, but Jesus was a carpenter. Maybe James picked that up. I have no idea. He just feels real, just like matter of fact. There's not like waxing elegance to the book of James like there is like Romans or, or uh, Ephesians. He just feels real at home to me, real blue collar. And he's just like, we're gonna go a whole nother step. And so he's like, guys, you, you just can't have a posture of your heart being right. We gotta talk about the practice of your life. We gotta get a little bit more uncomfortable here. So James takes another step in verse 22. He says, don't just be quick to hear God's word. You've got to be quick to apply God's word to your life. So in verse 22, he says these words, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word, not just hearers, deceiving yourself. Guys, Christians love more than anything to deceive ourselves. All the time, we are deceiving ourselves what being close to God means, what spending time with him looks like. And here's some of the ways that we do that, to just be honest with you. Uh, it happens at our church, happens at lots of churches. Here's what we think. We think attendance is transformation. So we think. I think if I just show up to church, if I come here this sermon, if I come to CG, if I just show up and give my attendance, then my life will be transformed. If that's true, why do we have Judas. Judas was with God, had attendance, perfect attendance for three and a half years, heard the word of God from the word of God, perfect. Why do we have Judas? Proximity doesn't mean unity with, right? Attendance does not mean transformation. Showing up does not mean growing up. And guys, we can't be deceived. This one sermon can't feed you all week. Guys, we are tricked if you think that one sermon from one guy, especially me, can feed you spiritually your entire week. And if you think that I or one message can help you walk with God closely, you're deceiving yourself. If you think, okay, I'll just go to CG then, bro. You back off me. Like I'm coming to church. It's hard enough for me. Like it's more than that. Guys, would it be faithful for me just to spend one or two days a week with my wife and have a deep, meaningful, intimate relationship with my wife? That's an everyday rhythm. Every rhythm of communication, confession, forgiveness, love, communication, truth, grace. The same is true with the Lord. We can't deceive ourselves. Attendance is not transformation. Another thing, information is not transformation. Just information alone. Me telling you Bible facts doesn't change your life. Doesn't change anything. If I just give you two plus two is four, you're like, great, that's a great fact. But four doesn't save you. It doesn't transform you. It doesn't do anything. You've got to take action. One example in my life, I remember one time Kiana was little and she like kind of like sat on her hand, but she forgot that she sat on her hand and then she cried because she couldn't get her hand out because she sat on her hand. She's just crying. And I'm like, hey, where's your hand? She's like, I sat on it. I'm like, what do you want? Like, she's like, my hand, my hand is stuck. I'm like, you have the information, just stand up. You, you, you've got to take action on that information. Guys, Christians love being fooled. We live in a secular city, a high education, high academic culture. And we think just by having facts, that makes us smart or that, that makes us uh, applicable. Guys, some, some of the most awkward people to work with are people that have really high educations, but no life experience. I'm like, that didn't translate. You have all the information, but it did not cycle over to like doing that, that job or whatever the case may be. So information is not transformation. And then last thing, guys, affirmation is not the same as action. Affirmation is not the same as action. Guys, you're very gracious, church. You guys hear me preach short messages and you hear me preach long messages sometimes. Either way, that's right, amen. Um, sometimes, 
Sometimes you guys are really encouraging and you're like, hey, pastor, that was a really encouraging message. Thank you for pointing that out or thank you for that insight or whatever the case may be. But affirmation is not the same as action. If I just told you a sermon, never expected you or God never expected you to obey it, then all we are, we're not a church. We're a sermon appreciation society. We come, that's a great point. I'm gonna live my own way. I'm gonna obey what I want to obey. I'm gonna do what I want. Guys, the point of this is not to just give you more information to, for you to affirm or for you to like, that's an insightful point. It's to take this word and to do it, to do what God's word has to say. So let's be doers of the word, not just hearers. We cannot deceive ourselves any longer. So James then concludes with this really, really big encouragement, a really powerful illustration in verse 23. And I don't want you to miss it. Okay, here's the illustration he gets with the point of doing and not just hearing. Here it is. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, but they're not a doer, here's what he's like. He's like a person who looks intently at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once he forgets what he is like. So let me illustrate. This is my wife's uh, mirror. And I don't think we carry these around too much uh, anymore, ladies. Uh, you probably just use your iPhone or your whatever phone you have. This is a mirror. And here's what James' point is with this illustration. I'm just using this because James used it. And I thought it's God's word, so I'll just try it out, right? The mirror, the mirror is God's word. And he's saying that there's a person who looks intently at the mirror. And what's the mirror doing? It's just revealing reality to me. So if I have a gnarly unibrow, what's the mirror going to show me? My gnarly unibrow. If my beard is all kind of out of whack and it's like folded up on this side over my eye and there's like sparkles in it from playing Barbies with my girls, it's going to show me what reality is. That's what the mirror is trying to do. It's reflecting reality back to you. Now, true story, okay? Back in high school, I was playing some backyard football with some guys. Uh, we were just tackling the mess out of each other. I'm running at this one guy and I just throw my body, I spear him out of the football. I, I shouldn't have, but just ran at him and I, 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 I smashed him right in the shoulder with my face. Tackled him and I felt a giant crack in my nose. And I'm like, oh man, this does not feel quite right obviously bleeding from my nose. I'm like, hey guys, time out. Let me go inside. And I look intently at the mirror and I'm like, oh man, I broke my nose. And then I just went out and played football. You're like, that story doesn't make sense, bro. It's exactly James' point. Does it make sense that you would look yourself in your face and you would see brokenness and you would see hurt and you'd be like, that's nice. And then you walk away. That's what James' point is is that you and I would look into the mirror of scripture. It would point out our brokenness, but it would point to God's wholeness. And then God's wholeness would heal our brokenness. Does that make sense? And James is saying to be a doer of God's word is to look at it and not only just see where you fall short and see your brokenness, but you see God's wholeness. You see where he can forgive you. You see where he loves you, where he's sovereign over every detail of your life, how he'll never leave you when you feel abandoned. When you're lonely or you're struggling and no one serves you or gets you, God is behind the scenes serving you. And he's saying that if, if you're not a doer of God's word, you're like a person who looks in the mirror and sees all these faults and see this brokenness and you just walk away. Because we can't be like this. 
That's the point that James is trying to make. It reveals the broken areas so that I can get help and, and healing that I need. And so that's why James concludes by saying in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the scriptures, the law of liberty, and they persevere in what it says, being not just a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts will be blessed in their doing. James is giving you a very easy principle. But say, when you look and you see the brokenness, you see the hardship, you look at your sin in the mirror of God's scripture and it points it out, it just reflects reality to you. The Bible's telling you, you're blessed. You're blessed. Meaning you enter into the path of God's plan for human flourishing. When you agree with God and you begin to go along with his plans, you live a blessed life. It means you live the life that God intends for you to have for your good and God's glory. God wants to bless a life that's according to his pathway. And guys, this is what James is trying to tell us here. The purpose of a mirror's reflection is to show you where a person needs action. If you look intently at the mirror and I saw my broken nose and I did nothing, then I'm just dumb. And so guys, I want you to look into the mirror of scripture and you may not see what you like, but God's not just trying to call you out. He's trying to call you in, into a better way of living for your good, for your enjoyment. He's saying, don't stick your finger in that fan anymore. Come this way. Let me show you the path, the way of life. Does that make sense? Just a side note, I know when we talk about mirrors or image, that can bring up some hardship for some of us because when you look in the mirror at home, you feel condemned. You hate the way you look. It brings shame. You don't like to look. You, 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 don't, you don't maybe want to get dressed up or you don't like going out. You hate that. And guys, the, you know the difference between the mirror at home and the mirror of scripture is? The mirror at home condemns you for what you look like. But in the scriptures, the mirror of it doesn't condemn you. It comforts you. It comforts you in that place of harm or heartache or things that you don't like. It doesn't just call you out. It calls you in. It doesn't just offer condemnation. It offers you comfort. Saying, hey, I know you're broken there. And then in Hebrews, we see that God is the high priest who's sympathetic with all of our weakness, all of our brokenness. So he doesn't just call you out and condemn you for all the things you're not doing well. He comforts you. He says, hey, let, me, let me lend you into the world and which is your flourishing, which is your joy, which is comfort, which is healing. Let me help you walk that path. So here's how we'll end. Three quick things I want you to know. Change your mindset, change your actions, and we've got to change our hope. That's what allows us to be doers of the word. We've got to change our mindset. That's the first thing of how to be a doer of the word. You don't just read it, but you meditate on it. The first thing that's got to change to be a doer is your thoughts, it's your beliefs. That's where you want to start first. To be a doer of what God's word has to say for you is to agree with it and begin to believe what it says. And guys, we don't obey God's word because we don't believe it's good for us. That's why Shasera don't want to obey. She thinks it's better to stick her finger in the fan than listen to daddy. And I won't be able to break through that to her at times. God forbid I'm not in the room, but we'll just turn off the fans in every room that we go in. The text tells us that the Bible is the law of liberty. That's a very interesting way to think about the Bible. It's a law of liberty. Why? It sets you free. In Christ, if you're a Christian, then the Bible is actually what sets you free. It's actually the pathway for your flourishing, not to harm your freedom. And so when we look at God's word, we don't need to think God's holding out on me. No, 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 no. God is holding out for you something better. 
And Adam and Eve in the garden, they said, God, you're holding out on me. I hate your word. I'm gonna disobey. But what God was doing was holding out for them the path for their most joy and life. And so when we come to scripture, we're like, mm, no, you're holding out on me. The urges climb up in you for pornography or over drinking or lying or stealing or, or coming after money or whatever the case would be in your marriage or parenting. When something rises up in you and you're like, no to God's word. He's holding out on me. I'm gonna live my own way. No, 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 God is holding out something better. And would you trust him? Would you change your mindset? And guys, I know you know how to meditate. I know you know how to do it because you know, I know that you know how to be anxious. That's meditation. Anxiety at times is meditation. You're thinking about what's wrong, what could go wrong, what's in the future. You're thinking about some scenario and what could go wrong over, that's meditation. Have you ever had a lustful thought, a fantasy? That's meditation. You're thinking about that. I know you know how to meditate. Let's take that discipline and meditate on God's word. What does it say about what to believe, where to put your heart and your hope? Meditate on that. Change your actions. Guys, there's some just, just raw and real, I wanna tell you, there's just some things that we need to stop doing and start doing. There's just things we, we've got to, to do because it's good for us. There's some things that we're running to and living out and believing that you, we just need to stop for your good. And so sometimes there's commands that we just need to obey for our good. And that's what God is inviting us into. So what sin struggles do you just keep, fight, keep sinning? You're not fighting anymore. Where are those areas? Where have you just given up the fight? James is reminding you, don't just hear what's wrong. You gotta fight it. You gotta be a doer of the word. So guys, repentance is again, taking off wrong beliefs that led to wrong actions, putting on right beliefs about what gives joy and then living that out. So we've got to change up some actions that we're doing. We often tell our kids, we want you to obey right away, all the way. That's what God is inviting us into for our joy. The last thing, we got to change our hope. Change our hope. Change our hope. What's that mean? Because we've come so far in this passage but I want you to see that James begins to point us to Jesus. You don't see his name, but you see his character. Look at verse 25, last thing. The one who looks into the law, the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. Do you know who that is? It's not you. It's not me. Are you the one who looks in the perfect law and you persevere and you never forget and you live it out perfectly? That's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus. Jesus looked into the perfect law. He obeyed all of the Old Testament laws. There's over 600 and some laws. He obeyed them perfectly. Why? Not just so that he will be blessed in his doing, but that you would be blessed in his doing. That's the gospel. You and I have fallen short of being quick to listen and slow to speak. And we act out in anger and we're not a doer of the word. We disobey. But did you realize that God is not mandating that you do right in order to be in a right relationship with him because Jesus did it all for you. He lived perfectly, did all the law so that not just he would be blessed, but you would be blessed in a relationship with him. Guys, we don't need to earn God's favor through our right living. It's because of God's favor, we live rightly. Does that make sense? We live as a result of what God has done for us. So we didn't live for forgiveness. We live out of our forgiveness with him. We are pleased. We are loved. We're highly valued in the gospel. And so God is pleased with you in Christ. This is not a message of condemnation. He is pleased with you because Christ has forgiven every sin. 
So God is pleased with you, but he wants you to be pleased with him and not other sins for your good. So church, let us be, let us be doers, not just hearers, so that we can grow and flourish. Let's have a posture of heart that's near the sun, and then we take action on God's word so we grow and we flourish for God's glory and your good. Church, let's obey these words because God gave them to you for your good. Let's pray. 